You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you uh, to turn to Acts, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 specifically. Join me in Acts chapter 2. If you want to know your purpose in life, there's a guy up in California who wrote a pretty popular book called The Purpose Driven Life. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Best-selling book outside of the Bible. There's a lot of people who want to know their purpose in life. Here's, here's the, uh, let, me, let me give you the cliff notes uh, of, of that. If you want to know your purpose in life, know Jesus. That, that's it. If you want to know your purpose in life, know Jesus. Listen, life will never make sense apart from Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, I'm telling you, you can try to put all of everything and you can try to get all your ducks in a row. You can try to make everything fit in life and it's just not going to. Life without Jesus will never make sense. So if you want to know your purpose in life, know Jesus. Listen, Jesus will not only give you eternal life, but He will reveal to you through His Word His purpose for your life. Let me say that again. Jesus not only gives you eternal life, but He reveals to you through His Word His purpose, His mission for your life. If you want to know your purpose in life, know Jesus. Get into His Word and He will reveal to you His purpose for your life. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been diving into Acts, and we've had this theme, His Word, His power, His church sends us on our mission. Our purpose can be found in Christ, in His Word. Our purpose in our life is empowered by Jesus Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to look at this morning. And the church... The local body, this body of believers, the local outpost of, of the greater church is the training center, is the, the equipping center to send you on your mission. His word, his power, his church sends us on our mission. The book of Acts shows us that we're not traveling on our mission in uncharted territories. That's great news, right? No one wants to go where no one else has been. That's always kind of a scary place. But listen, the book of Acts shows us that we're not traveling in uncharted territory. We're certainly not trusting in an unproven method. That's what the book of Acts is showing us. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful historical book of the birth of the church, of the explosion of Christianity. We're, we're, not, we're not doing something that, that, that has been unproven. Listen, Christians have had a successful, a successful history of, of making the gospel known, of making the good news of Jesus Christ known and accepted for the past 2,000 years. And really, you can go back all the way to the very beginning of time. No other organization, no other religion has lasted as long and has had the success as Christianity has. So let's join our brothers and sisters who've gone before us and have been used by God by making Jesus Christ known. Let's, let's join them. Acts chapter 2 introduces us 
to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Look there, if you will. It's going to give us what is considered Pentecost. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to answer two questions that I hope that you would have in reading the first 13 verses. What is Pentecost and why is it important? What is Pentecost and why is it important? Look, look with me, if you will, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Let's, let's read this. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, remember Luke, the, uh, the gospel writer of the, uh, the gospel of Luke, he also pens Acts. This is kind of his, his, uh, his, his second book. It is his second book. And he gives us the timeline. It's, it's during Pentecost. It's when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they, he's speaking specifically in, of, of the disciples and, and more than likely even, even the others who were in uh, that upper room. The scripture, chapter 1, verse 15 tells us there's about 120 total in the room. This is who Luke is talking about in the, really the first four verses primarily is these 120 people. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they... We're all together in one place. We believe that to be uh, more than likely the, the upper room where Jesus had told them to go. They were, they'd been hiding out there, if you will, praying. We know that for sure, that they had spent all of their time praying. They'd been in there for about 10 days before this event happens. They were all together in one place. Verse 2, suddenly, without any notice, without, uh, without any warning, no notification on their cell phone, no weather alert, suddenly it says, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. Luke tells us that, that, that this event, something happened that, that what we would think of today is like uh, the sound of a tornado. I, I thank God I've never been in a tornado. I've never been in a hurricane. But you talk to people who have been in the, in the middle of a tornado and they talk about the sound. They, afterwards, they see the destruction. They talk about the destruction. But the sound of a tornado never leaves a person's memory. The sound of that, what some people even say sounds like a rushing train coming right towards your house. We don't know exactly what this sound was like, but it just says it was, Luke does a great job of really describing as much as he can. He says it was, it was like that. It was something that was violent. It's like that of a violent rushing wind. But he also tells us where it came from. It came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they, this 120 people, including the apostles. It filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw, verse 3, they, they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled. Watch this. They were, they were all, all of them, the 120, not, not just touched with the Holy Spirit, not just a, a momentary um, um, uh, filling. They were, they were filled permanently. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different tongues. And this is where, this is where it can really go off the rails. And I want to be very true to Scripture. I want to, I want to read Scripture not with an agenda, but I want to read Scripture as the truth of what it says. And I want you to know 
Here's what it's talking about. They began to speak in different tongues. In other words, and we're going to see it later on in the text, they began to speak in different dialects. They began to speak in, in different languages, not, not unknown languages. They began to speak in known languages, not known to them, not that they had been trained in these languages. They had maybe had heard these before because many people spoke these different languages, but they had, they had never learned this language. And now all of a sudden, being filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke tells us they're speaking in these different languages as the Spirit gave them the ability for speech. Look at verse 5. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem. He, Luke, Luke now is he's shifting just a little bit. He's given us this picture of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the event of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now he's going to give us a little bit more of the timeline of what's going on. Look at verse 5. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation and under heaven. So why, why are they there? Why are the Jews in Jerusalem? Why are there many Jews? Because it is the season where it is a, there's a harvest celebration going on, and there are many many people from all of the known world who have come into Jerusalem for this harvest celebration. So we see the timing here in verse 5 of what's going on. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. Now watch this. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one, now here he's talking about each one, the crowd, this, the, the people that have, that have ascended on Jerusalem, people from, from, from all of the nations, they, they are confused because each one heard the disciples and the other 120 in that room, they hear them speaking in his own language. His being the, the other people that have come into Jerusalem. All of these people from, later on it's going to show us from about 15 different nations have all ascended on Jerusalem. And here's what's happening. That at, at this time, at this, in, in, in the timeline of, of humanity, Greek, Koine Greek specifically, is the common language. Almost everybody knows Koine Greek. But every people group, every nation would have their own language. And here you have all of these people from these 15 different nations. They've all ascended on to Jerusalem. And they hear coming from a house, a party going on. But here's what they hear. They don't hear craziness. They hear people speaking in their own language. And it has confused them. Watch, keep on going there in verse 6. And the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying this. Look at verse 7. Or, or Yeah, the middle of verse 7. Saying, look, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Galileans? That is a dig. That is like saying, hey, aren't all those people in that room who are speaking our language Aren't they rural, uneducated misfits from, from Galilee? How do they know our language? Who taught them our language? And they don't just know mine. They know yours and yours and 
and yours, and, and on and on and on they go. And so this is somewhat of a dig. Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? I mean, they're, they're rural, uneducated people. They, they know maybe their own language, and they know, they, know, they know Greek, but how do they know our native language? And then in verse 9, down through verse 11, he gives us this, all of the known nations, if you will, this Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. He gives us this, this just swath of people that the 120 in the room, they're speaking in their language. Look at what he says. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongue, in our own dialect, in our own language, if you will. Verse 12, they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said they're drunk on new wine. What does Pentecost mean, and why is it so important? Peter, in the rest of the chapter, does a phenomenal job. He, he explains what has just taken place. And God willing, we're going to look at that sermon. He preaches an incredible sermon in the next, or the rest of the chapter. God willing, we'll look at that. But I, I, I wanted to take just a little bit different of a route this morning and, and to define what Pentecost is. And then why is it so important? Because here's, here's what's different. In the context of when this is written, they had never had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit stay on anyone. The Holy Spirit would come and He would give somebody a word and then He would leave. Here was the Holy Spirit being poured out on people and staying on people. This was something completely new for us if you're a Christian here today, there has never been a moment where the Holy Spirit would come and go. The Holy Spirit comes and falls on a person the moment they accept Jesus Christ and stays. And so I want us to take just a little bit different route. What is Pentecost and why is it important? The first thing I want you to see is this. Pentecost is the fulfillment of the promise Jesus made of the coming Holy Spirit. I want you to know that God is a promise maker and He is a promise keeper. This is great news for us. That Jesus made the promise that He was going to send an advocate. He was going to send a counselor for us. And here we see the fulfillment of that. I want you to look at a couple of different scriptures. Write these down in your notes somewhere in the margin of your Bible. I'm going to have these on the screen. I'm going to go through them for the, for the sake of time. I'm going to go through them rather quickly. I just want you to see over and over, there's four different promises here. John chapter 4, 5. John chapter 14, verses 16. 
And I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Here's Jesus talking to His apostles, and He has told them He is about to leave them. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. He is telling them that I am about to go from you, but when I go, I will send you a counselor who will be with you forever. Pentecost is the fulfillment of that promise. Look at John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus goes on to instruct the apostles. But the counselor, who is that? The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Here's Jesus again making a promise. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of that promise. Listen, Jesus can be trusted. God's Word can be trusted. His mission for our life can be trusted. John chapter 15, verse 26. When the Counselor comes, here He is making the promise that that another one is going to come. When the Counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will testify about me. Another promise of the Holy Spirit. Fulfillment of that in Acts chapter 2. John chapter 16, verse 7 through 15. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth, Jesus says. It is for your benefit that I go away. Can you imagine how hard this would have been for the Christians of that day to hear that? They have been walking with Jesus for the last uh, three years at the most. And Jesus says, it's a benefit for you that I go away. It's a benefit for you that I ascend in heaven and go back to the Father and sit at the right hand of the Father? Yes, why? It's a benefit for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send Him to you. What is Jesus calling you to? What are you reading in God's Word that is challenging your trust of Him? Isn't Jesus, it's a promise maker. He is also a promise keeper. And we see that in Acts chapter 2 through the fulfillment of these promises. Matthew chapter 28, one of my favorite verses, verses 18 through 20. It's wonderful. This is what we call the Great Commission. Jesus came near to them. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, make disciples. He's given us clear instructions for us. This is our mission individually as Christians. This is our mission as a church. Go and make disciples. As you go, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, he says in verse 20, or teaching them to deserve everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is right before Jesus ascends into heaven. He says, remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then Jesus ascends. And the disciples could be saying, wait a minute, you said you were always going to be here. Here's the fulfillment of that promise in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost is the fulfillment of these promises. Listen, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is with us. That's great news, right? I mean, that, that's either an, uh, 
an amen or it's an oh me. To think that Jesus Christ went with you yesterday. If you're a Christian, where you went yesterday, Jesus was with you. On Friday, where you went, Jesus was with you. On Thursday, and on and on and on, and where you go tomorrow, unless Jesus Christ comes back today, where you go tomorrow, Christian brother and sister, Jesus Christ is with you, and that is great news. The very moment of salvation, Jesus graciously invades our life with His presence, with His comfort, with His power. I love this, but as Christians, we are not left to our own resources. Isn't that great news? When I think about what God's mission is, what my purpose in life is, the one that God has given me, I'm not left to my own resources. And neither are you. And I believe so many times we're afraid to step out. We're afraid to trust what God has for us because we, we know our resources. We know where we fail. As soon as God says, this is what I want you to do, we can tell God a hundred reasons why we can't do that, right? We're not, we're not dependent on our resources. Unless we just cut God out of the equation. We say, God, I don't need any help. I'm not going to do it. Listen, as Christians, we're not left to our own resources. If you're wondering this morning if Christianity is worth surrendering your life to, the answer is a resounding yes. There are many who will, not, they will never give their life to Christ because they don't know what comes next. Because they don't want to surrender their own life. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is worth, He is more than worth you surrendering your life to. Listen, you get the power of God. You get the comfort of God. The counselor, the advocate sent by Jesus into your life. Meaning this, that no matter where you go, there He is. No matter what is coming your way, He is there. As you study the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. That's great news, right? As, as, as we open up the Bible, we have, we have a helper who helps us understand the Scriptures. But not only when we open up the Bible does He reveal truth to us, but as we read Facebook, He reveals truth to us. See, there's some crazy things on social media, right? A lot of them have God's name tagged to them. Like if you don't forward this to 10 people, you're going to burn in hell. God. No. I mean, that's kind of a silly one, but there's some that sound really God-like. We can read those. We can lean on the Holy Spirit and say, God, I... I'm kind of challenged by that. Is that real? Is that truth? And the Holy Spirit can reveal truth to you. Let me get a little bit more serious. As we read the news, or I don't know if anybody reads the news anymore. If we watch the news, as we, however you get news, it's hard to trust what is truth anymore, right? No matter what source your news is coming from, 
it's hard to know what is true. It just seems like everybody has a bit. They, everyone has an agenda that they're, that they're bringing to the news. As we watch the news, as we listen to the news, however we get our news, the Holy Spirit can reveal to us the truth of what we are reading. Listen, Satan is the father of lies, right? Satan is the father of lies, and he loves to use pop culture to promote his lies. And a life surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the leadership of the Holy Spirit corrects the wrong thinking about yourself that Satan wants to promote. He corrects the lies that are coming our way when we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit corrects the wrong attitudes that our culture says that we should have that seem to be coming at us from, from every single angle. The Holy Spirit leads us into what is true. And Acts chapter 2 is the powerful historical account of the Holy Spirit permanently entering the world through God's children. Oh, listen, this is such great news that we cannot miss we cannot miss this. It is the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit. Second thing I want you to see is this. Pentecost is the harvest celebration of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. What do I mean that, by that? I'm going to explain that. Pentecost is the harvest celebration of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Look again, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together. The timing of the coming of the Holy Spirit is remarkable, and it shouldn't be missed. Pentecost happens at one of the most attended harvest celebrations. There were many harvest celebrations in the Jewish calendar. But Pentecost, this <clears throat> excuse me, harvest celebration, was the, because of the timing of the year, because of what it meant, was the most attended. We understand harvest, right? You, you take a, a dead seed, you put it in the ground, you water it, you wait, and after a season of time, that seed begins to sprout and reproduce itself. And after another little bit of season of time, you harvest the fruit from that seed. Pentecost, which is simply a word meaning 50, uh, which, which was 50 days after the first Sunday of Passover, where it gets its name, was a time when many, <clears throat> many, many Jews would be in Jerusalem celebrating this harvest celebration. Giving to God of the first fruits. Now watch this. Here's what they're doing. They're taking from the first fruits of their crop, they're traveling to Jerusalem, and they're going to present these as an offering to God. When the Holy Spirit was poured out on the believers, the, the event that we're reading in our text this morning, which was 50 days after the first Passover Sunday, Peter preaches a powerful message. You can read it in the rest of the chapter. Peter preaches a powerful message, and it says that over 3, 000, or around 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. Listen, Pentecost happens 
50 days during this harvest celebration and 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe it is God saying, this is my first fruits. Jesus was in the ground. He died and he was placed in the ground and he came out of the ground. I've poured out the Holy Spirit on my people. And here are the first fruits, these 3,000 people who have given their life to Christ. Listen, we benefit, no doubt about it. We benefit from being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He is our comforter. He is our advocate. He is our guide. But listen, the Holy Spirit was not given to us so that we could have some warm, fuzzy feeling and so that we could just kind of stroll through life waiting on eternity. That's not the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in our text. He was given so that you and I could know the truth, to live out the truth, to proclaim the truth, so that God can use us as we live out the gospel. Proclaim so that God can use us as we proclaim the gospel to our circle of influence, to the people that God puts us around. That's why we've been given the Holy Spirit. What were the people doing? Look again what they were in verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11, look what the 120 who have been indwelled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on them. Look at what they are doing. Are they, are they, are they taking this gift of the Holy Spirit and, and just serving themselves with it? No, watch what they're doing. Cretans and Arabs, he, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongue. Watch, God has brought the nations to Jerusalem. And now he has over 120 people who are proclaiming the good news of God, which is Jesus Christ. It's like a reverse mission trip. The nations came to Jerusalem. God pours out his Holy Spirit on the believers. They proclaim the good news and thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they do what? They stay in Jerusalem? No, they go back home. You see how the gospel is spread immediately. And it all happens during the festival of first fruits. Listen, Pentecost is first fruits of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Pentecost is the promise of the Holy Spirit coming about. But I want you to see this Pentecost shows us. God is always, always, always on time. Pentecost shows us God is always on time. Look at verse 5. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. God chooses a specific time when Jerusalem would be packed with people from all over the known world. God is always on time. Watch this. The disciples have been in the upper room for 10 days. Jesus, the timeline real quick, Jesus has been killed, buried, resurrected. He has made himself known for 40 days to over to hundreds, thousands possibly of people, 500 all at, all at one time. <clears throat> he has come and gone among the people. He has ascended. <clears throat> and as he ascends, the disciples go back to the upper room and they've been there 10 days. And God tells them to wait on him. Can you imagine what their prayer was like? Praying for Jesus to return? Pleading for God to show up? 
Jesus, all we know is you. We, we've, we've sold everything to follow you. And we've seen that you are the Son of God. We believed it before, but now that we've seen you resurrected, we know that you are the Son of God. We're ready to give our life to you. So, so God, okay, we're, we're ready for you to come back through the person of Jesus Christ. Day one, prayer seemingly unanswered, right? Day two, they're praying. Seems to be no answer. Day three, they're praying. Day four, God is always on time. What is God doing? He knows what they want. He hears their prayers. But he's waiting for the lost world to come to Jerusalem. He's waiting for the, for the right time. Day five. God, are you coming back? Day six. Listen, how long have you been praying for God to do something in your life? And it seems like God's not answering your prayer. How long have you been praying for God to do something in your family's life? And it seems like God is not answering your prayer. Days, weeks, months, maybe years. Maybe you're on, maybe you're on year 20 of praying, faithfully praying and asking God to move in your life or in a family member's life. It doesn't seem like God is answering your prayer. Don't quit. God is always on time. Can you imagine? Peter is the, the least patient of all, right? Of all of the disciples. We see that through the Gospels. Can you imagine if Peter would have quit on day five? Praying. Day six, day seven, day eight. What if he would have quit on day nine? He would have missed being able to preach this message about the truth of Pentecost and seeing over 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ in that one moment. Oh, listen, don't quit. God is always on time. Listen, there is nothing happening in your life now. There is nothing happening in your life from the past. Nothing that will happen in your, to your life in the future that you cannot overcome with the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Nothing. And that's a pretty bold statement to say. And, and so here's, here's why I can say that. Because Scripture points that out. Scripture proves that. And I trust Scripture. How can I trust Scripture? Because Jesus is a promise maker and He is a promise keeper. That's why it's so important for us to not lose sight of the promises that Jesus made and the fulfillment of those promises at Pentecost. The question is this. Will you submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your own life? Will you submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? What does it look like to submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in my life? Let me give you two words. First is this, trust. The second is surrender. What does it mean to trust? Daily, sometimes moment by moment. Trusting the leadership of the Holy Spirit over, watch this, over the desires of my flesh. I don't know about you. 
don't know about your fleshly desires, but I have many of them. And oftentimes they aren't in line with what the Holy Spirit has for me. They aren't in line with what God's purpose and what God's plan for me is. But as I trust, moment by moment, daily by day, by day, trusting in the leadership of the Holy Spirit over my own selfish, sinful desires, I begin to walk empowered in the mission that God has for me. It will do the same thing for you. First is trust. Trust Him. Let me ask you, here's a really... Are you trusting God with your eternity? Have you placed your trust in God for your eternity? Saying this, that, that knowing, confidently knowing that the moment you die, you will spend eternity with God in heaven. If you answer yes to that, I mean, you're placing your eternity with God, if you can do that, which I believe is harder than trusting Him with your today. If you can trust Him with your eternity, try trust, trusting Him with your today. Because listen, if He can't be trustworthy of today, He isn't trustworthy for eternity. I promise you. On the authority of the Word of God, God is trustworthy today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. So the first is this trust. Second is surrender. Daily surrendering my agenda for God's greater plan for my life. Always asking God, God, is what I have planned for today Line up with your plan for my life. God, does what I have planned for this month line up with what you have planned for me this month? With, with, God, with what I have planned for my life, does it line up with your plan for my life? Let me press in on this just a moment. Christian parent, what if your plan for your children doesn't line up with God's plan for your children. Are you willing to surrender your plan for His? Press it even a little bit more to our students. Your plan for your life, your agenda for your life, does it line up with God's plan for your life? And if it doesn't, are you willing to surrender your plan? For his great plan. Are you willing to surrender your career, what you have in mind for your career, for, for what God has in mind for your career, for your marital status? Are you willing to, to surrender that for God's plan for your marital status? And on and on it goes. What about this, adults? Your retirement. Maybe some of you are getting really close to retirement and you're thinking about what you are going to do. Does it line up with God's plan for your retirement? And if it doesn't, are you willing to surrender to the perfect plan of the Holy Spirit? For your retirement. So when we put it like that, it sounds silly. It sounds somewhat like foolish. Like, like I'm going to, I know God, I, I know that you're the creator of the world and you know everything from beginning to end, but I kind of got this, all right? 
It sounds silly to say that. But that's what we're doing. So I'm asking you, will you submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit by trusting in Him, by surrendering to Him? Are you willing to surrender your agenda to His mission? Listen, when you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, listen, He gives you the ability to do what you never thought you could ever do. You surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and you submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He gives you the ability to do what you never ever thought you could do. I just got back from India and some of you know my eating habits. I know they're not the most healthy, but they're good, all right? And they don't line up with what they eat in India. One of the things that have kept me from doing international missions for so many years is food. I know that, that sounds really silly, right? Like there's lost people who need to hear the gospel, but I don't want to eat their food, so I'm not going to go. That, that's, just, that's just the truth. Listen, I want to tell you, for nine days, I ate things that I would never eat. Because I was empowered by the Holy Spirit, being able to do things that I would never normally be able to do. Now, I'm talking about not just because I just didn't like it. I'm talking about stuff I'm not even sure what it was. Right? I'm not sure where it came from. And it was kind of covered in rice. Remember when you were a little kid and your mom would give you something on your plate you didn't like and you'd put it in the mashed potatoes to kind of try to cover it up, to try to kind of kill some of the taste? That's what they do with rice. They give you five, I don't know how, like I'm, I'm not kidding you, like, Cut a basketball in half, set that on your plate, and that was rice, all right? And then all kinds of stuff inside of it with curry on top of it. Lots of curry. And you just pray. You, you, it, it brings a new meaning, meaning for praying for your meal. Like, God, you are good. Thank you for blessing this meal. Please help me live. I know it's a silly thing, but that's a big thing for me. And God, was allow- God allowed me to go to a different country <clears throat> to share the gospel, to encourage several pastors with the Word of God. And to be able to put food, just it was, it was a secondary issue. I'm telling you, it was a third, fourth, fifth issue. i got to be honest with you, I hadn't eaten rice since I come back. I probably won't. But here's just the point that I'm trying to make is that a life submitted, surrendered to Jesus Christ, submitted to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit equips you to do things that you would never, ever be able to do. And so here's these disciples, these 120 people. They don't know all of these different languages, but the Holy Spirit gives them the ability to to speak a different language, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ so that 3,000 people that later on that day would come to faith in Jesus Christ and go to the uttermost parts of the world and continue to spread the gospel. What a beautiful, beautiful story. I wrote this down in my notes. Let me close with this. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. You've heard that before, right? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Listen, that doesn't mean you ignore instruction. That doesn't mean you ignore becoming disciplined in His Word and prayer and in the many other spiritual disciplines. 
It means you trust Him. That as He calls you, you trust Him to just say, yes, God, this is what you have called me to do. This is the career choice that you've called me to take on. This is the, this is the plan that you have for my children. This is the plan that you have for my retirement. I don't know how you're going to work it out, God, but I am trusting in you, and I'm submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to walk every single day just continually submitting myself to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And as you do, listen, God begins to equip you to be fruitful in the plan and the purpose and the mission that he has for you. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.